Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 232, Allen versus Craig, also known as UFC Vegas 82. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me once again, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. First things first, if you're listening to this right now, fresh out of the oven, you're probably listening to it overnight, Monday night, or first thing in the morning, Tuesday, almost a full day later than usual. Usually when that happens, uh, Keith <laughs> owns up to it being his fault right off the bat. This time, it is my fault. Uh, I right. had something I needed to get done Sunday night, so Keith was good enough to be uh, flexible, as flexible as Jordan Levitt, and uh, just uh, let us record an, an, an evening <laughs> an evening later than usual. Keith, obviously, even though we're recording this Monday night rather than Sunday night, we're both probably still a little buzzing from the experience that was UFC 295. There was uh, something good, something bad, something surprising, and something controversial, like I promise at the end of every one of these previews. But there was a feeling of high stakes to all of it that just elevated it into drama. I mean, we were talking about people's places on all-time lists based on what we saw in the cage on Saturday night, or at least their potential. We were asking ourselves, is Tom Aspinall going to go down as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time? Is Alex Pereira a UFC Hall of Famer? Things like that. I'm going to say that the trip back to the apex here, UFC fight night, Allen versus Craig, the stakes are not quite the same. But for what you look for out of a fight night, how would you rate this one on paper going in? Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. We can't just glaze over this uh, poor apology that you made. I mean, <laughs> your lack of professionalism, lack of commitment to this show. I, I mean, I think our trust, you know, saying that we're going to be on a certain time. I think our my trust in you is, is gone. Uh, <laughs> Would it be better if I did the apology, like the apology of like a Hollywood celebrity that said something racist or ignorant and I got to be in this bare room in my house with all the furniture taken out of it and like yeah. look at my little webcam? <laughs> or the best of the apology when it's like, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if I offended you. Like that's that's not an apology. <laughs> um, I don't know, like a C? It's it's okay. Um, it so I was at a, a Providence Bruins game yesterday. Uh, my my son, uh, my son's class, sang the national anthem and a couple other songs before the before the game. So you know, it's a good way to get all the p families to buy tickets and 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 watch your your you know what what is what is the like is that AAA hockey? What is that called? I don't know what that's called. Like the the, low, the you know below the majors. In, yeah. in baseball, it's a double A, triple A. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what it is whatever, in hockey. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Farm, Dude, farm. if you live in Rhode Island and you don't know, how the hell am I going to know? Oh, yeah. And I'm married to a Canadian <laughs> and she doesn't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we had to be there like an hour and a half early. And I'm, I'm walking around the stadium just because what the hell I have an hour and a half to waste. And, and my old wrestling, one of my old wrestling coaches, he – he works there, so I, I, you know, I found him, and he was working this. Like, There's like this bar area, and they had this buffet, and he's like, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool setup. He's like, yeah, not for the price. It's like it's like thirty eight dollars for this buffet. Oh, you can eat buffet. He goes, go look what's over there. And it was hot dogs, uh, French fries, mozzarella sticks. I think some rolls and some and some cookies. So that's kind of was that's a buffet for like eight year olds. 
Yeah. This is great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's how I kind of feel like this card is. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I'll pound some. I mean, look at me. I'll pound some freaking mozzarella sticks with the best of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've never passed up on an extra roll, you know. The the the, the rolls go, you know, the rolls getting passed around, you know, the the, the <laughs> pass around the table. I'm always gonna grab grab one. I've never okay. I've never just gonna pass it along, but uh, I feel like this. There's a couple, you know, the, the main event is not the sexiest event. I kind of wish this was like a co-main event, but it's got a little bit of title implications based on the division. Uh, there's a couple other fights that are interesting. That like Mandy Hebas, I, I, I'm hoping she could still be a contender. She's taking on Pinero, uh, Pinero, who's who's a rising star. Who's yeah, I think she should be undefeated. A couple other prospects here. There a couple action fights. So there's you know a lot, but it still feels like a hot dog and French fries buffet going on. <laughs> but but it's at least real hot dogs and French fries. It's not like the plastic ones that your toddler brought you for like the toddler plastic oh, toy yeah. soup. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the most <laughs> random food ever. Yeah, uh, I will never forget when you when you compared a card to the taco plastic <laughs> toy soup. That's <laughs> that's my jam now. Uh, I won't see another toddler until I have grandkids, so I've, I've got a while to wait. But no, I, I'm with you. I, I call it about a C. You will sometimes hear not just me, but plenty of other people, kind of tongue in cheek, refer to fight night cards as Dana White Saturday Night Contender Series. This card is why. There are 14 fights on this card, so 28 total fighters. Over half of them, 16 of them, are Dana White's Contender Series alums. There are only like three or four fights on the whole card that don't have at least one. So if you like watching your fights on Tuesdays, there are going to be a lot of familiar faces here. There's, Like you said, there are some intriguing rising prospects slash borderline contenders here. Luana Pinheiro probably should be undefeated, and if she were she wouldn't be fighting Amanda Hibas in the opening fight of a, uh, you know, a, a fight night main card. You know, she'd be getting a little bit more hype. Michael Morales, who is in your co-main event, is undefeated. Yeah, and then a theme for this card, and I, I just want to put this out there now because we're going to return to it a few times. This, for me at least, is the night of busted prospects who aren't really busted. There are so many fighters on this card that – in my mind, somewhere I'd kind of written them off just because they came to the UFC with a certain amount of hype, and then they took a loss under bright lights. Not like the kind of loss that sticks in people's minds. And then I realized that I sort of put them in a particular bucket, even though they've shown different things since. Like, dude, Brendan Allen is 10-2 and two in the UFC. Why do I think he's a bust? It, yeah, I mean, dude, one of dude, those losses is to the current champion. Exactly. It's... So yeah, there, there's nuts, nuts, a, nuts. a number of fighters who are better than my memory of them, and then others that they've taken a little ding, and it's on them to kind of reclaim some of their hot prospect shine, and it may turn out to be the best thing for them that they took a loss early on. So there's a, a, a lot of intrigue here. There's not a lot of obvious divisional relevance, but it's the kind of card that we could look back on later and realize that it was more relevant than we thought. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that two years from now we're looking back and three or four fighters on this card have at least fought for a title, like Brendan Allen, Luana Pinheiro, uh, and, and and a couple others have at least been in the title picture, and we just didn't necessarily see it coming at this point. So I do like that. As yeah. someone who's almost certainly going to watch every card between now and two years from now, I, I got to have something to you know, fire my interest in this card. Shall we dive into these prelims? Yep. All right. 
First up at UFC Vegas 82, at least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, is a men's flyweight matchup between Charles Johnson and Rafael Estevam. Johnson, the 32-year-old Missouri native uh, training out of Michigan, is 13-5 and overall. He is 2-3 and in the UFC. He's 2-2 two and two at flyweight. He fought up at bantamweight, or a 130-pound catchweight in his last appearance, uh, losing a unanimous decision to Cody Durden. But uh, yeah, 2-2 two and two at flyweight. He is going to try to get uh, back above 500 in that division against Estevam. The 27-year-old Brazilian is a perfect 11-0 as a professional. This will be his UFC debut. He fought on the Contender Series all the way back last September in the last episode of the 2022 season of the Contender Series, knocking out João Elias in the second round. The UFC has tried several times to get him into the cage since then. He was supposed to fight in April against Carlos Candelario. Candelario dropped out. He was supposed to fight at UFC 288 in May against Jalga Zhumagulov. Estevam, I can't even say he blew weight. He had a failed weight cut and didn't even weigh in, so that one was canceled the day before the fight, just adding to the list of travails of Jalga Zhumagulov, the unluckiest man in the UFC. So he finally steps in here. We'll see uh, if the, the hype is justified, as he is, again, an undefeated fighter. The odds do slightly favor him. He's minus 130. Johnson is plus 110. I like Charles Johnson. I, I feel as though maybe it's that fl men's flyweight is so skilled that anytime someone's losing, I just assume they're better than their record. Like, obviously, I, I've been that on that Jalgas Jumagulov train for several years. And maybe that's it. Just with few exceptions, even when someone's losing at flyweight, they're showing flashes of good skills and being able to do, you know, being able to do things. You can always picture, okay, I can see some guys in the division that this guy could beat. And maybe it's more of a case of the division as a whole rather than the individual fighters. Uh, what I do see when Johnson fights is he is an absolutely gigantic flyweight. I mean, both these guys are huge flyweights. Uh, Johnson is a massive flyweight, tall, rangy, but also muscular. He does well when he can put on a kickboxing match at distance. Like, he's not a dummy on the ground, but he it's not his best path to victory. Uh, when, it, when he gets taken down, he seems to lack either the motivation to get up, he's too willing to play off his back, or just the ability to get up against stronger uh, top players. So he does well when he's you know able to kickbox at range. He's had trouble against fighters that can force him out of that comfort zone. And I think that's going to spell trouble against uh, Rafael Estevam. Uh, Estevam, at least on his regional tape leading up to his contender series appearance, looked like a very good wrestler and kind of top position mauler. Like he's kind of different from your stereotypical Brazilian fighter in that he usually kind of looks to ground and pound first and then like look for a submission once he's kind of softened up uh, his opponents. It was hard to tell before the contender series, whether he was actually a good wrestler or just a huge guy and a good athlete. Like, I don't know if he can run the pipe. He never had to. He just, you know, could, but he would, he will shoot from the outside, but he'd shoot from the outside, get on the guy's hip, scoop him up, put him down, you know, beat him up, transition him out and either keep pounding on him or, or get a submission on the contender series. 
his wrestling still looked good, but he was fighting someone in Joan Elias who was too willing a grappler. He kind of, I don't know if he could have stopped all of Estevam's takedowns, but I know that on at least one occasion, he didn't really try and he ended up getting pounded out for his, for his trouble. So Estevam's wrestling is still kind of a question mark for me. And it's an important question mark because it's what will separate him from just another guy at flyweight or somebody who can actually do some damage in this division. But I think this is a good first test for him because even if his wrestling is just what we've seen on the way up, he should probably be able to get Charles Johnson down. I could see him getting some good, like, you know, penetration step on Johnson and Johnson just defends with a guillotine and falls to his back, that kind of thing. Yeah. The stylistic matchup here just leads me to favor Estevam. I, I think he's going to get Johnson down. I think he's going to do damage from top position. I can see him just kind of taking him down again, beating them up, sliding them out and continuing to pound on him either until he gives up his back or just turtles up and, and gets punched out. Give me Estevam here by second round TKO, but second round sub would not be out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah, I like that the line is is really close. Um, I think that's that makes a lot of sense in this fight. Um, I mean, Charles Oliveira. I mean, Charles Oliveira. Charles Johnson. He's a he's a he's a very good athlete. Like he he uses movement really well. Good footwork. Uh, he's constantly darting uh, between different stances. South pole, off the docks, kind of getting the people guessing. He's pretty elusive. Uh, he's, you know, he makes himself when, he, when he's moving, he kind of makes himself a moving target, you know, so it's harder to hit. Uh, definitely a kickboxer, kind of a slip and rip guy, uh, though he does do some shoulder rolls, which, which, you know, I'm not too, too keen in, uh, because he's rolling, he, he, he does, he, he rolls and then ste steps forward. So he kind of pressures and, and likes to move forward. He doesn't like being pressured back. Like you go get like the Zuma Gulaf fight. He, he hated the pressure and that's why that fight was really close. Uh, he's, I, I, I'm going to disagree on the wrestling though. I think he's actually a pretty decent offensive wrestler. I think he's a little underrated. Uh, he, he's got some takedowns in, in a lot of fights, but I don't think he's as good offensive wrestler as he thinks he is. Like, I mean, you go back to like the Ode Osborne <laughs> fight where he was going for takedowns and actually got out wrestled by Ode Osborne and, and where I really thought he didn't have to close the distance. It could have struck and, and won. And then obviously, uh, you know, Cody Duran, he really struggles stopping takedowns, but to his credit, he, he, I mean, Cody Duran is really underrated. And and relentless with the takedowns, but to his credit, he he did do well in that fight to get back to speed. That's why he gave up eleven takedowns. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of those were mat returns, which shouldn't be counted as takedowns. But uh, Estevam on the feet, he's I mean, he's a brawler. I mean, he he, th he throws a lot of looping punches, throws everything hard. Uh, he cracks the body with hard kicks, throws a lot of teep kicks in the middle. Uh, you mentioned his his wrestling. I mean, that's kind of his goal. He wants to close the distance, good entries. Good at winning scrambles, uh, like you mentioned, mean ground and pound. He, he's he's got some pretty strong uh, submission defense. We saw that in the contender series, and he's I mean he's a BJJ black belt himself, but he also he's not a big um, submission threat. This is a really competitive fight. Uh, Johnson is the more technical boxer, but I think Esteban hits harder. I think the wrestling is probably pretty equal. Um, I trust Johnson's gas tank a little bit more based on the way I asked him on, I mean, it's all output, you know, on, on the gas the whole time. I think we have a back and forth contest uh, with Johnson, maybe even winning some of the late wrestling battles. And I'm actually saying yeah, he pulls off a slight victory 
And so I'll take Johnson by split decision in, in a little upset. Next up is a lightweight contest between Trey Ogden and Nicholas Mota. Ogden, the 33-year-old Kansas City native, is 16-6 and overall. He's 1-2 and in the UFC. He's coming in off of a loss. He dropped a unanimous decision to Ignacio Balmondez back in April at UFC 287. Prior to that, he had won a unanimous decision over Daniel Zellhuber. He'll look to get back in the win column here against Mota, who is looking to do the same. 30-year-old Brazilian is 13-5 and overall. He is also 1-2 since joining the UFC out of Season 4 of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently in June at the Vittori versus Cannoneer fight night, where he got knocked out in the first round by Manuel Torres. Odds here, once again, fairly close, but Mota comes in as a slight to moderate favorite. He's minus 140, Ogden plus 115. Uh, Nicholas Mota in the UFC has been very much a killer-be-killed fighter. He's hyper-aggressive, swings really hard, and thus far the UFC has mostly matched him up with fighters willing to indulge him in that kind of brawl. The problem is he doesn't have the durability to do it against high-level fighters. Uh, his UFC debut saw him get lamped by Jim Miller, and Jim Miller is a guy who's been in the UFC for 300 years, and I think that might have been his second like uh stoppage due to strikes in like his whole run then manuel torres again again Mota. his he is intent on throwing his offense and really does abandon defense just fundamentals go out the window just stuff like not keeping his hands up not bringing his hands back just wading in with his chin in the air just very 2003 vanderlei silva type uh, approach if he can catch his opponent great if he can't catch his opponent or if they catch him first again the durability hasn't been there having said that ogden is probably the first guy he's going to face in the ufc who is not likely to give him that kind of fight ogden is a long lengthy guy super grinder nullifier of his opponent's offense he's he's cut from the mold i think of a lot of other fighters that we will often just re refer back to he's you know i see him as a darren elkins uh damon jackson nate landwehr type where not a plus athlete but big strong for the division durable and a solid wrestler more through technique and perseverance than like off the charts athleticism if ogden wants to just swing in the pocket with mota I mean, he might catch Mota, Mota might catch him, uh, but that seems to be the the high-risk route to victory for him. Considering that Ogden's kind of new day job is being the head coach at Marathon MMA, where he's actually you know coaching several other UFC fighters, I'm going to assume he's going to have better fight IQ than that. Uh, I think Ogden avoids Mota's bull rushes doesn't exchange in boxing range with him if he can avoid it. Waits to see if Mota gets tired. Like Mota still hasn't been past the midway point of any of his UFC fights and maybe takes over with just smothering clinch work and wrestling late. Give me Ogden by decision here in a fight that is not going to be as exciting if I'm right as if I'm wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, I knew, I knew you were taking <laughs> taking him. That's your team. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is. Uh, what? Give me the odds again on this one. Uh, Malta's minus one forty. Ogden plus one fifteen. Like, yeah, they vary, but Ogden yeah. is the underdog on all the. But majors. still, it's pretty pretty close. That's yeah. what I that's what I, I thought. Um, yeah, Ogden. Yeah, he's he's a good coach. I, I really like that team too. Uh, not <laughs> not like you. You know, yeah, you're like an official member over there, but. Uh, uh, Ogden's big for the weight class. Uh, you know, some issues I have with him is he can be a little lower output, uh, at times. Uh, he needs to tackle a little bit more with combos, uh, instead of throwing single strikes. Um, he looks for his right hand a little too much. It's kind of winging a little Dan Henderson thing going on, but I like that he targets the body. Uh, so, you know, I love that. Uh, he's got a very good kicking game, uh, offensive kicking game though. He doesn't really check leg kicks himself. Um, I mean, you go back to like the Jordan Levitt fight. Jordan Levitt kicked him like 200 times. Uh, he can wrestle though. Yeah, you know, he'll he'll often shoot from a little too far away and kind of overextend. Uh, but you get the fight to the ground. Often he's he's got strong takedown defense. He struggled to to get off the bottom with Jordan Levitt on top, but Jordan Levitt's you know really good at controlling. Uh, he he did show some good submission defense. He's got 11 subs on his on his record himself. Uh, he he almost subbed Levitt in a guillotine, and you, you know going back. I mean, this is going a while ago. But like Levitt probably got saved by the bell in that fight, and uh, in, in that round, uh, his cardio ha- you know faded a little bit against Levitt, which which you know probably cost him that fight. Uh, Moda, good 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 offensive striker. You know Chris Jab, uh, he avoids strikes with good head movement. He hits hard. Uh, he his output can also not be the best. Kind of looking for the perfect shot to land uh but i like that he also goes to the body he also has a good kicking game uh good high kick strong muay thai clinch gets inside works the body with knees he's he's a weak defensive wrestler though uh he doesn't have a single submission on his record uh, but he is a little hard to hold down but the big issue is what you said i I don't trust his chin i mean he's been knocked out a bunch i mean jim miller knocked him out mineral taurus a fight that he was doing really well he got knocked out in his last fight (laughs) Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess it's two fights in a row, but I'm going to go back to back underdog picks. Uh, I'm going to go Agony just simply because he's the better wrestler, and I don't trust Moda's durability. So, I think we have a back and forth battle. But I'm going to say the takedowns and some and some offense on top. I think Moda wins a really close. I mean, uh, excuse me, Ogden was a really close fight over Moda. I'll say Ogden by split decision. We head now to the women's bantamweight division for a matchup between Lucia Putalova and Eileen Perez. Putalova, the 29-year-old Czech, is 14 and 8 overall. She is 3 and 6 across two separate stints in the UFC. She is 1 and 1 since returning in 2022. She debuted in her return with a second round uh, TKO of, of Wu Yanan, then dropped a split decision to Jocelyn Edwards in her most recent appearance that was back in April at the Holloway versus Allen fight night. She will look to get back on the winning track against Perez. Perez, also 29 years old, out of Argentina. She is 8-2 and two overall. She is 1-1 one one in the UFC. She dropped her debut to Stephanie Egger by... Buzzer beating second round submission, then came back this July and won a unanimous decision over Ashley Evans Smith. She'll look to make it two in a row. Uh, she is favored to do so. Perez, a comfortable favorite, minus 180. 
Pudilova plus 155 on the comeback. Keith, this fight sucks. This fight sucks. This is I, I okay. I'm sorry. This this Lucia Pudilova looks like she should be a better fighter than she is. She is a big bantamweight. She looks like a plus athlete. I mean, she's powerfully built. She's young. She's still not even 30 years old. When she washed out of the UFC on four straight losses last time, she was like 26 or something. So she, again, exited the UFC on four straight losses uh, almost four years ago at this point, went on a good run in Octagon MMA, which is the it's the top promotion in her home country, the, the Czech Republic, but it's not that high level. And since she's been back, I mean, she beat Wu Yanan, which is a low-level opponent, and then she lost to Jocelyn Edwards, who is, at, at this point, still a low-level opponent as well. I, I see some upside in Edwards, but as of right now, Edwards is not a great bantamweight. And she's going against Perez, and I've got to say I'm a little surprised that Perez is the, the favorite here. Just What Perez does have going for her is she's big and strong, I mean, she fought a lot of her uh, fights on the way up at 145. And at 145, she kind of short and stocky. At 135, she is a powerhouse. And I will say she's an above-average athlete. She's not an off-the-charts great athlete. She's not you know, Ronda Rousey or Holly Holm or anything, but she's a good athlete. I'd put her kind of in the, the Misha Tate category, better than average. But just not that skilled. Uh, win or lose... It doesn't feel as though she has much of a game plan other than kind of swing her way into range. And she she does like when fights end up on the ground. Like she doesn't really go for takedowns, not at least premeditated takedowns. Like she'll kind of go for one instinctively out, out of the clinch and then just trust herself to be strong enough to pound people out from top position if she ends up there. But Stephanie Egger showed what somebody with an actual discipline ground game and some skills can do to her and then her win over Ashley Evan Smith it just doesn't get much worse than that uh that's I here I'm surprised to see that she's almost a two-to-one favorite over Pudilova but I'm actually going with Perez as well just I see Pudilova as someone who's going to come in with a game plan you know try to probably make things all the way out or all the way in. You know, she she will set up and try to kickbox from range. If people come into range, uh, you know, she'll try to clinch, keep things in tight, hurt them from the clinch. You know, she's happy to accept a takedown if one comes from there. So she'll have a game plan and may not be able to make it work, and Perez will have no game plan and just trust to aggression, instinct, and luck. That's a terrible mix probably going to be a terrible fight but uh give me Perez by decision here and uh watch for me to to rant about both of these two being on the cut list afterwards I'm I'm just not excited for this one yeah um yeah this is really low level uh MMA um <laughs> they could have at least done you know been decent and, and had it open the card so if you had something to do you don't have to like rush home to you know watch the fight or, you know was thinking it you know somewhat higher up the card like what the heck uh i mean lucy pudilova i mean i feel like we've broken this woman down many times 
she, she's big for the weight class. I'll say that she's she's a boxer. She she moves well. A lot of L stepping. She uses feints well. Works behind a jab. Throws basic one twos down the pipe. She had she had like I, I give her a credit. She's a little bit better striker than she gets credited for. Um, she has ability to strike while being pressured. Uh, she's shown some offensive wrestling lately. Uh, you know, good at shooting and turning the corner, and, and but not much when it hits the ground, kind of stalls. But her Achilles heel has always been her defensive wrestling. She's a weak defense wrestler. I mean, she was submitted by Antonia Shevchenko, which is a you know, terrible look. Uh, I definitely think she's looked better when she since she left the UFC and kind of came back. But, I mean, it's still kind of we know what she is. Uh, Eileen Perez, on the feet, very aggressive, constantly on the gas, quick hands, throwing combos, uh, throw some spinning attacks. But all that, uh, I, I'm going to disagree. I think she wrestles a, a lot more than you credit her. She's got pretty decent entries, uh, though she will shoot without a setup. But she's very physically strong. She can grab a limb and go for a ride. Uh, yeah, she got submitted by Stephanie Edgar when the fight hits the ground. But she she actually took Stephanie Edgar down in that fight, which is which is fairly impressive. Uh, and then against Ashley Evan Smith, I mean, she made it turn into a takedown dummy. <laughs> you know, took it down at e, you know with ease, good c- control, some decent ground and pound. Like I said, Pudilov is an improved fighter since we've last seen her. Uh, but until she can improve her takedown defense, I can't pick her. Uh, you know, especially someone that I think is going to want to get the fight to the ground. Uh, I'm going to go with Perez to win. I, I think the fight's going to look similar to the Evan Smith fight where she forces Pudilov on her back foot with her pressure and then, you know, shoots in for some takedowns. Give me Perez by decision. All right. Next up on the UFC Vegas 82 prelims is a featherweight matchup between Jeka Saragi and Lucas Alexander. Saragi, the 28-year-old Indonesian, is 13-3 overall. He is 2-1 uh, in the UFC if you count his fights on the Road to UFC uh, reality show, which I do. Uh, he won both of his fights on Road to UFC, making his way to the final where he got knocked out by Anshul Jubilee. So he is the Road to UFC Season 1 runner-up, and he is looking to get back in the win column here. He had been scheduled to take on Jesse Butler, but Butler was forced to withdraw a little while ago, and in steps Lucas Alexander. Uh, 28-year-old Brazilian is 8-3 overall. He is 1-1 in the UFC. Uh, Good news for Saragi is that he still gets to show up in Vegas and get a payday this Saturday. The bad news is that in the eyes of the odds makers, at least, this is a much tougher matchup as Alexander drops in as a minus 400 favorite. Uh, Saragi plus 325 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, uh, let me know how you see this fight playing out, uh, who you think wins. Uh, this is uh, this is an in- intriguing fight, and, and you know, I think both guys are, are pretty pretty good action fighters. Uh, Saragi, uh, he's undersized, but he's he's a He's a counter striker that fights behind a high guard. Um, does keep his chin a little high in the air for my liking. Uh, but when he when he's throwing, he's he attacks the combination. There's a lot of power shots. has has good power. Uh, he ten, the the problem is he tends to load up on everything. Uh, you know he he almost knocks himself over trying to land a shot. That's how hard he throws, which obviously leads him to be countered. He's very hittable. Uh, he likes throwing some spinning attacks because he's kind of he's a wild man. Mean body kicks. 
but he is open to calf kicks because he stands, you know, too tall, too heavy, you know, heavy on his front foot. Uh, I haven't seen too much of his ground game, but he has four submission wins, so that that's something you got you got to like. Uh, Alexander is a kickboxer, fights out of both stance, very elusive, good footwork. He's a he's a counter striker that you know attacks cutting angles well, quick hands, throws a lot of combinations. Uh, he sets up a lot of his shots with good feints, rips the body. I love his his kicks, lots of kicks to the you know up the middle, teeth kicks, body kicks, calf kicks. He's a really fast high kick, uh, weak defensive wrestler. Uh, but in fantasy, his takedown defense against Steven Peterson was was much better. Uh, I mean, but in fantasy, Steven Peterson, you know, no Bo Nickel or anything like that. But, you know, the biggest concern is if if it hits the canvas, he's been submitted three times already in his career. So uh, as far as prediction goes, I like Alexander here. You know, he's a really good striker. I think Sergei is very hittable, especially the deeper the fight goes. Uh, I think it's going to look a lot like the Peterson fight, where Alexander's sticking, moving, and 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 Sergey just you know struggles with the movement, can't find his range, and and Alexander kind of cruises to a decision win. I'm with you here. Just you pointed out the most obvious hole in Lucas Alexander's game at this point. He does very much have the feel, not just of a prospect, but a specifically a striking crossover prospect. His submission defense has been exposed on several occasions and you said once it hits the mat it doesn't even have to hit the mat I mean Joe Anderson Brito basically choked him out standing up but that is a route to victory that at least based on what I've seen of Saragi isn't going to be open to him instead it's probably going to look kind of like a brawler against a bigger, more technical striker who has at least as much power that's bad news for Saragi who I agree with you is a fun action guy who given the right matchups, could stick around for a good while for our entertainment. But this is not going to be his night. Uh, give me uh, Lucas Alexander by uh, – and I'm going to say he actually finishes this thing because I, I think once he finds the range and rhythm, uh, like it's just going to get worse and worse for Sargi as this thing goes along. So give me Alexander by third-round TKO. But, you know, if he just kind of wins going away in an increasingly lopsided decision, that wouldn't be too shocking either. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 232 undercard is the lone heavyweight matchup on the card. Uh, England's Mick Parkin against Kayo Machado. Parkin, the 28-year-old, is a perfect 7-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of uh, the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted back in July against Jamal Pogues, taking a unanimous decision. He'll look to make it 2-0 and keep his record spotless at the expense of Machado. Uh, Machado, 29-year-old, born in Brazil, but longtime resident of uh, Canada, where his MMA career has taken place almost completely. He is uh, 8-1-1 overall. This will be his UFC debut. He fought on the Contender Series back in August on the first episode of this season. In fact, that episode sent three fighters to this specific card. So we'll, we'll be talking about week one of Dana White's Contender Series 2023 a little bit tonight. But uh, yeah, this is his debut. And he is not favored to win. Uh, Parkin is a massive favorite, just as he is a massive man. He is minus 330. Machado around plus 270 on the comeback. 
Keith, I I gotta say, I did underestimate Mick Parkin. Uh, okay. I, I was I was I was almost laughing at what a big deal other English fighters were making of this guy. Basically, you would have thought he was the Tom Aspinall of MMA striking, <laughs> just the the next British heavyweight hope. And I I was like, this dumpy dude that looks like he's from, you know, the hills the hills of Kentucky. Like, but Judo <laughs> Federation, dude, dude. I I'm I'm telling you. Kentucky's just going to come down and do a home invasion. <laughs> <for me. laughs> we need to do it. We need to do it. We need to do a live show from Kentucky. From Kentucky, from a hidden location in Kentucky, uh, against Jamal Pogue. <laughs> the closest I got to Kentucky is KFC. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I hit that. I hit that fried chicken a lot. <laughs> uh, against Jamal Pogues, who not the highest level uh, opponent, he's. Parkin showed himself to be more athletic than he looks because he's a massive, just barrel-chested dude. He's 6'3", looks like a guy who probably has to cut a few pounds to make 265, but pretty nimble on his feet, uh, a boxer by preference with pretty fast hands, again, for a heavyweight. He may be one of those guys like, uh, not quite Roy Nelson, but maybe more like Matt Mitrion, where he just kind of looks dumpy, but then he's lighter on his feet than you expect and had at least enough cardio to to hold on and and pull out that win. Ben so, Rothwell, yeah, Ben Rothwell, who's an absolutely gigantic dude, and at least until he got really old, was surprisingly nimble. Uh, so maybe on on the high end, he's that. I struggle to see why he's a greater than three to one favorite against <laughs> Kyle Machado. Totally. Uh, I mean, Machado's gonna want to strike with him. He has a more diverse striking uh, game. You know, he works a lot more kicks in. Uh, I think he he looks like the athlete that Parkin doesn't look like, but kind of is. Like, Machado's got more of what you would hope for out of a heavyweight MMA, like, frame and physique. He is perfectly happy to uh, go to the ground. You know, he has a couple of wins by uh, submission. And if I remember correctly, both of those, uh, he was not the guy that initiated the ground game. And it's worth noting that one of them was against a uh, 200-year-old Lee Meehan, who I don't think is allowed w- within 200 meters of uh, UFC fighter hotels now. You know, Jordan's dad, Jordan Meehan's dad. The yeah. One that, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so not the highest level of competition. But I see Machado. I, I don't see him as a future contender, but... I expect him to prove he belongs on roster. I see him as fairly well-rounded, young, decently athletic, good-sized heavyweight. Yeah, I struggle to see why he is such a huge underdog to Parkin here because I could see him chopping away at Parkin's uh, leg with leg kicks. I could see him really embarrassing Parkin if this fight goes to the ground. If Machado just wants to stand and exchange in Parkin's preferred range, he's probably going to come out worse for it. But I feel as though he has other options. It's really tempting for me to take the massive upset here because I see this as almost a pick em fight. But uh, neither of them has a whole lot of high-quality experience. But of the two, Parkin has the slightly better level of competition in his past. Give me Parkin to win a narrow decision here, but again, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Machado wins in a way that kind of exposes Parkin. 
I, I don't know if this is just due to Parkin being undefeated or due to the next great British heavyweight hope hype, but yeah, I, I think this line is way out of whack. Parkin by narrow decision. Yeah. Um, yeah, what the fuck is up with these <laughs> these Dude, betting lines? We, we like, haven't even gotten to the wildest one yet. Yeah, we, like, got, wild, we got some wild lines <laughs> further up this card. Yeah, good thing I wasn't. We weren't playing that game because if you asked me who's a huge favorite, would I? I wouldn't even know. I would have been like, oh, maybe they're. I mean, I I know uh, Machado in his his contender series debut, he looks good because his opponent refused to fight. <laughs> you know, I thought yeah. maybe oh well, you know, they're buying. I I don't. I, I mean, yeah, I agree that Parkin is a, is a better athlete than he looks, but. Like I'm, I'm still not like <laughs> I still don't think he's a good athlete, you know. Like, well, it's um, like it's like saying Tank Abbott was a better athlete than he looked. Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. was, but, <laughs> but <laughs> like, like I, I, I still don't think he could pass like the Army PT test, you know, Barkin. <laughs> um, I mean, I, yeah, he could. I, <laughs> but you get. I don't know. Like, I, I think I think he'd struggle going up that the, the cargo net, though. <laughs> yeah, um, he he makes up for you know his his kind of lumberness with just with with high volume. That's one thing he does have. He's got very good output. He had good output against Bogues. Uh, he's got some power. I mean, obviously, we did two hundred sixty five pounds. You have some power defensively. I don't like some of his. I mean, turtles up a lot. He was hurt in the contender series. Uh, he can wrestle. But I mean, it's sloppy. Like he, you know, it's one of the ones where they just grabs onto like a body part. And he ends up falling on top. Um, I, I, yeah, a good smother and top top game. If he's taken down, I've seen him be able to get back to his feet. But uh, nothing really stands out to me. Machado, Machado's a southpaw, very aggressive, throws a lot of winging wild strikes. Constantly throwing overhands, uh, very very sloppy. Uh, he will go to the body, which I do like. A lot of kicks. Uh, yeah, he is a BJJ artist, but he's an extremely poor wrestler. Uh, but he but he's got some jujitsu skills. He's got back to back armbar subs. Uh, you said the Pudilova versus Eileen Perez fight sucks. Oh. Man, this one's right up there. This fight sucks. Well, dude, it's unranked heavyweights. It went without yeah. saying. I mean, uh, yeah, of course. That's true. <laughs> like, but this, this, this feels like, this feels like the Thursday night football game the other day, where it was like Carolina versus Chicago. It's like, oh, the two worst teams in the league. Oh, and, and Justin Fields isn't going to play for Chicago, too, on top of it. Yeah. Um, again, sorry to the Europeans who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, but. Uh, both guys aren't good. They they have good output. I like that. So it should probably be a little more entertaining than skilled. Parkin's a better wrestler. He's probably more technical. He's faced a better competition. Give me Parkin by decision. One of those heavyweight fights that I that I try to forget about. But I like over three to one favorite. That's nuts. Like if you're if you're like a real degenerate who has to like. You know, some bets down. I would go. I'd go the other way. And I think, to me, I, this this should be a pickup. So, Parkin shouldn't be a f- the three to one favorite over anybody. So, uh, give me Parkin by decision. 
We head now to the men's bantamweight division for a matchup between Chad Anheliger and Jose Johnson. Anheliger, the 36-year-old Canadian, is 12-6 and overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his UFC debut with a third-round knockout of Jesse Strader, then showed up last September at UFC 279 and dropped a unanimous decision to Alatang Hei Lee. That marked his first loss in the UFC and snapped, I think, a 10 or 11 fight winning streak for him. So uh, uh, more than a year on from that appearance, he's going to try to get back in the win column against Johnson. Uh, Johnson, 28-year-old Michigander, is 15-8 and overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a two-time contestant on the Contender Series. He fought on Season 4 and lost, came back on Season 6 and won. Uh, that was back last August. It took him almost a year to get into the cage. His debut was this August at UFC on ESPN, Luque versus Dos Anjos. He famously fell victim to a twisted submission by DeMond Blackshear, getting absolutely posterized. Worth noting that he was a short-notice fill-in for that fight, but uh, he'll try to wash the taste of that embarrassment out of his mouth. He is favored to do so. Johnson, minus 210, and Helliger, plus 160. Keith, I'm going to ask you who you think wins this fight, and if you can give me any insight on why you think Jose Johnson is a greater than two to one favorite over Chad Ann Helliger, I would love to hear it. Because <laughs> honestly, I expected Ann Helliger to be the favorite here. Yeah, I don't know. They just maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Vegas is uh, yeah, got some algorithm going on trying to get some money in some so i have no idea like i'm trying to come up with a with an answer like a logical answer without making a joke i don't know i mean i, I mean chad elliott is a good athlete but the dude's i think he's 36. 36 nearly 30 and he turns 37 in a couple weeks and yeah and in fairness if you look at the hard numbers the record of men's bantamweights past their 35th birthday is not good yeah. Uh, so I mean, so that may... some, of, some of that going on. I mean, his his athleticism could fade overnight. Yeah, so that's, that's a concern. Having said that, it's still on Jose Johnson to prove he belongs in the UFC at all. So yeah, I'm just I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> so I think we're in agreement. Um, you know, so that that's always a concern with with guys up in age that that everything you know about them and anything you like about them could be gone overnight, just dis disappears. So. Obviously, we have to base on what we've last seen. He 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 fights with a lot of pressure. He's like a controlled pressure fighter. I mean, uh, he, which which is ironic because his last fight against uh, Alatang Haley, uh, he's he was circling the perimeter of the cage most of the fight, which was really surprising because that's not how he fights. But I, I think he, I know he got. I think he said he like I don't know if he broke his hand or something. There was some kind of injury in that fight, so that's why he fought differently. Um, it's we haven't seen him in too too long of a time. Uh, he he loves feints, but he was like fainting way too much and not throwing enough in that fight. Uh, when he lets his hands go, he works behind a jab. There's a lot of like uppercuts and knees in the middle. He has, I'd say, plus power, uh, but you know he's he's a weak defensive wrestler. He you know offensive wrestling's not not that good. Defensive wrestling's bad. Makes matters worse by jumping guillotine. Uh, he does have a good guillotine, and and he. 
He works back to his feet when taken down. Uh, if he does end up getting a takedown, though, he's he's you know not a great. He's an okay wrestler, I should say. Like he's ser- serviceable offensive wrestler, uh, but when he's on top, he's he's his controls okay, and he's got some good ground and pound, uh, and he has good cardio to go all fifteen minutes. Now, Jose Johnson, he's a long and lengthy striker. Um, he's fast. He's accurate. I like his right hand. It's it's pretty clean. He's got good power. Uh, I, when he gets inside, he'll start closing things up and looking for elbows. So he got some mean kicks. The problem is, and we saw that in his UFC debut, and we saw it in the Contender Series. He's, you know, is he's he's got some submissions and stuff, so he's got a little bit of grappling, but you know, he's more of a scrambler, uh, pretty good at scrambling back to his feet. The reason why he's got to scramble back to his feet is he's such a weak defensive wrestler. He gives up a lot of takedowns, uh, and you know, he's been subbed three times before, so that's concerning. Why he's such a big favorite? I'm guessing it's going with the you know, his age and, and his athleticism. I think the line should be much closer. I mean, and Helica could use his strikes to get into range and then wrestle and win that way. I am going to go with the big favorite. I I think Johnson is just too good of an athlete at this point. I think he's faster. I think he keeps his range with some deep kicks, and I think he just outstrikes him. Uh, and Helica is pretty durable, so I, I think he'll make a decision, but give me Johnson by decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the breakdown there, and everything that's going into my pick is in full understanding that not only could Anheliger's athletic gifts be abandoning him, statistically they should be, but even the guy that lost to Alatang Lee last year, I, I feel like it's dangerous to pick Johnson over him. Uh, I agree with you that Johnson, he's, he is very big. I mean, I saw him, he just, uh, about two and a half, three years ago, uh, fight Mana Martinez in fury. And I just remember being shocked that he was taller and had so much longer reach. Cause Mana is a long lanky, uh, bantamweight, uh, Mon also blistered him in like a minute, but uh, generally speaking, that isn't the route to beating Jose Johnson. Like it was kind of surprising that Mana beat him at his own game there because yeah, the the path to victory against Jose Johnson is kind of laid out there. He's not a good defensive wrestler and uh, he can be taken advantage of on the ground. And that is something that Helliger could do. Uh, the question is just, can he get into range safely can he get Johnson down? Can he hold down someone who's like that much bigger and not just hold them down, but do damage, advanced position, threaten with ground and pound or, or submissions? I may regret this pick real quick. If we're 40 seconds into this fight and, and Helliger is either looking like he's standing in mud or already knocked out, which is not out of the, the realm of possibility, then I, I, I'll know. But until I see it, I'm picking the big upset here. Uh, give me Chad and Helliger to avoid the worst of the damage from outside. Maybe get a couple takedowns against Johnson, do enough damage, stay busy enough, maybe put him in some peril uh, enough to win two rounds out of three and get uh, one last uh, maybe quality win in the Bantamweight division uh, before his time is up. Next up at UFC Vegas 82, and at least as the card is currently constituted, the top prelim is a featherweight matchup between Jonathan Pierce and Joe Anderson Brito. Pierce, the 31-year-old Tennessee native, is 14-4 and overall. 
He's 5-1 and one since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He dropped his debut a little over four years ago, giving uh, low-key legend Joe Lozon a happy exit from the sport, just getting splattered in like 90 seconds. Since then, he's been perfect with five straight wins over Kai Kamaka, Omar Morales, Christian Rodriguez, Makwan Amarkani, and most recently, just a little under a year ago, Darren Elkins, whom he defeated via unanimous decision at UFC on ESPN, Thompson versus Holland. This will be his first and only cage appearance in 2023, and he'll be taking on Brito. The 28-year-old Brazilian is 15-3-1 overall. He is 3-1 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of the Contender Series. Kind of like Pierce, uh, he stumbled in his debut, uh, dropped a unanimous decision to Bill Algio. That was last January. And since then, he has been perfect with three straight wins over Andre Feely, Lucas Alexander, and Weston Wilson, all three of those by first-round stoppage of some kind or another. The most recent, the Wilson win, was a knockout at UFC on ESPN Strickland versus Magomedov in July. So uh, he'll look to stay perfect in uh, this recent run, hopefully keep up his string of finishes going. He is not favored to get it done. Pierce is your slight favorite. He's minus 130, Brito plus 110. Keith, kind of like I said there, these guys have broadly similar uh, stories. Uh, Pierce, both of them lost to arguably worse fighters than themselves in their UFC debuts, maybe shaking out those uh, those jitters. Yeah. I, I mean, like obviously Joe Lozon is a historically greater fighter than Jonathan Pierce by degrees. I mean, sure. the guy still owns parts of the UFC record book, but he was a dilapidated man by 2019. And then Bill Algio is Bill Algio is a good fighter, but if either he or Brito is a top 10 fighter at any point in the future, I'm putting my money on Brito. He just, he's younger and has more upside. Yeah. Uh, since then, Pierce has been quietly impressive and Brito has been loudly impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who gets it done here and how? And do you believe in either of these guys as a, a top 10 fighter in the featherweight division? Yeah, top 10 at featherweight is so tough. So, I mean, that's <laughs> seems like that's my answer every single week. Uh, but you definitely got to like the winner a lot more. This fight should be on the main card. I mean, when you talk about the talent and, I mean, you know, you mentioned it. Burrito is, is when he wins, he wins in spectacular fashion. And then Pierce. Dude, let me illustrate a point for you. Like you just talked about how tough the men's featherweight division is. And I said top 10. Here's 11 through 15. Yeah, okay. Movsar Evloyev, Korean yeah. Zombie, Bryce yeah. Mitchell, Giga Chikadze, and Movlet Haibulayev. Yeah. Those are five good fighters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Sam, Sam again? One more time. Movsar Evloyev is not even in the top 10. Chan Sung Jung, yeah. Bryce Mitchell, Giga Chikadze, and Movlet Haibulayev from PFL. Yeah. Yes, obviously that was, those are the sure dog rankings. Um, I yeah. mean, when Giga Chikasi is probably the worst fighter in the group, and that's yeah, because of, you know he's more than one, one dimensional. And obviously, the Korean Zombie retired, and he, he's on our list for you know until this. We you know we have an eighteen month right kind of window if you know inactive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> bantamweight to welterweight is. Just tough, and, and even I mean, flyweight isn't as deep, but the talent level is you know is is right up there. 
you know, the top 10 is talent is off the charts. But anyways, I mean, the, the way I mean, Pearson's on a five fight winning streak, like they deserve to at least be on the main card over, you know, some fights above them uh, that, that shouldn't be. There's a debuting uh, fighter on the main card. Yeah. And a guy who's going against a guy who's 0 1. So, yeah. Uh, I know why he's making it because he's super exciting. But, yeah. Still, like, if you go by merit, this fight should be on the main card. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Pierce, he's he's a very intelligent fighter. That's the, stand, the thing that stands out to me. Uh, he fights with pressure, marches down his opponent, works behind a long jab, likes to work from distance with, you know, long rangey strikes, uh, strikes straight down the middle. Um, he will toss out like a flying knee or something like that, but it's more just to kind of force his opponent onto their back foot so he can continue to pressure. Good kicking game, lots of kicks to the body. He uses his striking to really distract so he can close the distance and get to the clinch where he will grind in the clinch. Um, he'll look for body lock takedowns. Uh, go back to like the Americani fight, hit Americani with a, with a rolling Kimura, which was pretty slick. He isn't an explosive wrestler. So he's not one of these guys. He's not going to drive through his hips and, and get the second level. But he's so determined and he has such a mindset to get the fight to the ground that he usually does pretty good to get it there. Uh, he's, he's, he's good at winning scrambles. He he landed some nice elbows and scrambles against Amer- Americani, uh, smothering top control. He he knows he must pin his opponent and wear him down, and he does that. And, and he, he you know he does that before he looks for submission or anything like that. Uh, but when he starts, you know, po- you know, posturing up, good ground and pound. When he's taken down, uh, he, he does scramble to his feet. But he I've seen him give up his back to get back up. But he's so comfortable, like he's he's. He's confident in his grappling, and he's got really strong cardio. Like he's just—he's a builder. He's going to get stronger and stronger. Uh, and, and he's a builder in the sense of with you know with a heavy grappling game plan where he—he's—he's he's confident he can grapple for 15 minutes straight. Uh, Brito uh, on the feet, very aggressive. Marches down his foe, a lot of pressure himself. Stiff jab, very very explosive. Uh, where he wings these powerful hooks with nice power. He can be extremely wild. Uh, you know, he loves throwing like entertaining stuff, spinning attacks and stuff. But when he settles in, mean calf kicks, he can wrestle too. I mean, extremely strong. He tossed Lucas Almeida around in their fight. Uh, good top game. He has, you know, five submissions on his record, so he's definitely a submission threat. He's got good BJJ. Uh, he showed great submission defense and his capability in his fight against Diego Lopez, uh, which is obviously a, a fight that has aged really well. I think Brito is the more skilled fighter. I really do. Like he could starch him, he could sub him. If 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 the fight it ends early, it's gonna be Brito. Uh, if if one of these guys is on the Bulls list, or one of these guys we're talking about uh, a top ten guy, we're talking about like excited about matchmaking, it's Brito. But Pierce is so intelligent. Like I expect him to use his long rangey, you know, strikes to to score points when Brito closes distance to get inside. I think Parrish just starts wrestling. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to take Brito down, but it's not. I, I think Pierce knows it's not going to be the first attack, the second attack. It's going to be the third, the fourth, the fifth, and I think he's just going to get some takedowns, win some time, you know, battles and, and control and stuff like that. And, and I think Pierce is going to win the decision. I, I would love to disagree with you and add more intrigue to a card where we've already disagreed on a couple of fights, but 
I've got to go with, with you here. And there's always a possibility that Brito keeps his uh, <clears throat> his string of first-round finishes going and just lamps Pierce in the first round. That That's definitely a possibility. He's the more explosive of the two. He's the harder hitter and the one who tries to hit harder. But, yeah, I, I go back to Brito's UFC debut against Bill Algeo. And two things happened. Like, Brito won the first round. Won it with, you know, uh, aggression. Didn't really hurt, hurt Aljo, but definitely did the more damage of the two. And by the third round, Aljo won going away. It's it's not that Brito was especially tired. It's not like he was gassed. But Aljo was fresher, and Aljo had built in confidence. Like, he figured Brito out to the point where Bill Aljo, who's I think of as normally kind of slow and basic on the feet, was... Like doing Max Holloway Matrix crap against uh, against uh, Brito. The longer this fight goes, with Pierce being a wrestler and a builder, and Brito being kind of a quick strike merchant of death, yeah, like give me Pierce to survive the first round, even if he loses it, and pull ahead going away, uh, probably with his wrestling, and I could see his wrestling kind of feeding into greater success on the feet as the fight goes along. So, yeah, Pierce uh, by decision here, but I live in full recognition of Brito's ability to make us look really silly in about 40 seconds. The six-fight main card of UFC Fight Night 232 begins with a welterweight matchup between Johnny Parsons and Urosh Medic. Parsons, the 32-year-old syndicate MMA product, is 9-3 and overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He won his way onto the Contender Series all the way back almost two full years ago. A combination of factors prevented him from debuting until this July, but once he got in there, he made it count, knocking out Danny Roberts late in the second round. He will look to make it two in a row, uh, two wins this calendar year against Medic. Uh, Medic, 30-year-old, Serbian-born, Alaska-raised, by way of Southern California. He, he's been everywhere, man. He is 9-1 and one overall. He is 3-1 and one in the UFC since debuting out of Season 4 of the Contender Series. Relevantly to this fight, he's 1-0 and oh at welterweight. He entered the UFC as a lightweight, um, went 2-1, and one, moved up to welterweight, for his fight with Matt Semmelsberger at UFC 291, knocked him out in the third round and has elected to stay at 170 pounds. Fittingly, if you've ever seen the guy, as he is a big dude. Odds here, heavily favor uh, Medich. He is minus 235, Parsons plus 190. Keith, there's only one thing I know, know about Urosh Medich, and that's that I cannot pick his fights. He has four fights in the UFC, and I have picked wrong on every single one of them. And I, my pick of him to lose to Alon Cruz in his UFC debut is one of my worst picks of all time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, <laughs> yeah, good. Well, it, hey, to, to the point that the the good folks at Anchorage BJJ reached out to Keith <laughs> to tell him what a, what an idiot I was. Sorry about yeah, that. I love that. I'm like, dude, I picked I picked him to win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and he was and he was favored and it was for good reason. Uh, but yeah. just so unproven and on his way up in Alaska Fighting Championship, just had been blowing away 
yeah. really overmatched competition. I thought it couldn't last in the UFC. What I didn't realize was that Alon Cruz was part of that overmatched competition, <laughs> and uh, he blew right through him as well. Since then, he's looked human, but still pretty well, damn good, whether at 155 yeah. or 170. Uh, I was... Because, you know, again, I picked, I've picked all of his fights wrong. I picked him to beat Jalen Turner, and Turner humiliated him on the ground. Picked him yeah. to lose to Omar Morales, and he knocked him out. I picked him to lose to Matt Semmelsberger. I thought Semmelsberger is a better version of the same thing. A huge guy sure. for the weight class who's a better athlete and yeah. about equal in terms of skill set. And Medich plunked him, uh, though it was, it was a pretty fun fight. So, yeah, I, I can't pick... A Matthew Semmelsberger fight to to save my life. Luckily, my life doesn't depend on it. Here, I mean, I think he is going to be bigger than Parsons. Uh, I think he, if the fight goes to the ground, I think he'll have the advantage there. Um, for a guy who's not a super plus athlete, like, you know, he's big and rangy and very strong, but he's not a fast twitch athlete. Uh, I think he has pretty good wrestling. He's good at getting fights to the ground when he when he wants them there. Against people not named Jalen Turner, he tends to be able to hold his own in the grappling as well. That's what was so shocking about just how quickly and easily uh, Turner took his back and choked him out. That's not normally what happens to Urosh Medich. You know, whereas Parsons' main route to victory here is clocking Medich. And that's something that we've not seen a whole lot of. So I am leaning Medich here. Uh, if Medich in, indulges Parsons in a brawl on the feet, you know, uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a more interesting fight. But uh, I could see Medich closing the distance, even though he's going to be the taller, ranger, rangier fighter, just getting all the way inside of Parsons' punching range, avoiding getting his legs kicked. Uh, and kind of mauling him in the clinch, maybe getting takedowns from there, uh, doing some damage from on top. But give me Medich to win by decision here, but I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it. Yeah, I mean, Medich was a guy that I wasn't too high when he entered the UFC. I did pick him to beat Alon Cruz, but it wasn't like I was – I remember being on the fence in that fight. So uh, he's he's 3-1 in the UFC, and you know, his only loss came to Jalen Turner. That, Jalen Turner's good. So um, – yeah, he's he's surprised me. He's a southpaw. He's I mean he's massive. You talked about how big he is, long and lengthy guy. Uh, he showed some great distance striking in his last match. Um, he he did really well the match before that too against Omar Morales. So between Morales and Samuelsberg, he's really good to keep them at the end of his punches. Uh, he's a kickboxer who's extremely aggressive on the feet. I mean he comes out out of his corner like uh, like a man possessed. Uh, when he when he he batted Alan Cruz before Alan Cruz even knew the fight started, yeah, you know, uh, the problem is, is you know, be super aggressive is what got him tagged up by Turner before being being submitted. Uh, he's he's accurate. He reminds me a little of like Alexander Semenko, where he, he loves to do like spinning attacks, and it's a big part of his game. Sure. I, I mean, he knocks Semmelsberger out with a spinning elbow. Uh, he he really showed uh, against Morales though that he can be more controlled, more patient, and, and still just kind of like, you know, more uh, methodical, you know, striking game and still win and win impressively against Morales. He's got very good power uh, in his hands. Uh, he's got a good kicking game. I, I love the push kick that, that he does that forces his opponent on the back foot. Um, 
his body kick on the contender series folded Mikey rolls. Uh, and then if he's not all the way out, he has like a, like a Tim mean style where he'll, he'll follow his long range into the, into the clinch battle there. The problem is he, he's, he's an okay offense. The problem is his defense wrestling has, has been an issue. Uh, he struggles to get off from the bottom. Uh, he does have some submissions off his back. Uh, he likes to attack like leg locks, knee bars, and inhale hooks, but still, I mean, he's not this like wizard on the ground. Uh, Parsons, Parsons, yeah, he's he's a striker. He he's a Muay Thai striker who fights out of both stances, high volume. He loves power shots. He's winging overhand right. Uh, the problem is he he can overextend, which leaves him really open to counters because uh, he he kind of likes a brawl. He throws some hard kicks to the body. He's a sneaky high kick. Uh, he has a he has a large arsenal of different types of kicks. Like he'll, he'll throw a question mark kick. Uh, he he checks kicks well, which is you know fair, few people do. Uh, the problem is he's been hurt a lot, uh, but he has this incredible heart that he just battle back in, in, in so many fights. Uh, you know, and and the reason why he gets hit is he's just such an open target to be blasted. Uh, he will wrestle, but he isn't very good at it. And, and I say he's a weak defensive wrestler. So as far as prediction goes. Uh, this I understand the reason why this is uh, you know on the main card. It's a real action fight. They they're expecting some kind of knockout one way or the other. Uh, it should be a really fun as you know fun fight. Is I think both guys should bring the action. That said, Maddich is bigger. He can crack. I say he lands a shot and finishes him in the first round. Give me give me Maddich by first round TKO. All right. We head now to the strawweight division for a clash between Luana Pinheiro and Amanda Hibas. Pinheiro, the Brazilian, and I need to say right off the bat here, she has a birthday coming up in about five days, and opinions are split, or facts are split, on whether she is going to turn 30 or going to turn 31. Uh, Sherdog and the UFC's own stats have her as being born in 1992. Tapology and Wikipedia have her as being born in 1993, which would mean she's about to turn 30. So, yeah, either about to turn 30 or about to turn 31. I will try to get to the bottom of that mystery. But at any rate, uh, she's 11-1 and overall. She's 3-0 and since joining the UFC and is on a nine-fight winning streak overall. She fought most recently back in April at UFC 287, where she won a split decision over Michelle Waterson Gomez. She will look to make it uh, four straight in the octagon against Hibas. Uh, Hibas, 30-year-old Brazilian, is 11-4 and four overall. She is 6-3 and three in the UFC. She is 5-1 and one at strawweight. She has tried plying her trade at 115 as well as 125 pounds. But uh, she's 5-1 and one at, at strawweight, and she is coming back to the strawweight division after that three-fight run at 125 pounds. Uh, her last fight at 115 was almost uh, just a little over two years ago, defeating Verna Janjiroba. Since then, uh, she has a loss to Caitlin Chukagian, a win over Viviani Araujo, and a loss to Macy Barber at flyweight. The most recent of those, the Barber fight, was in June at UFC on ABC Emmett versus Tapuria. It was a second round, kind of very classic Macy Barber ground and pound mauling that uh, apparently made Hibas decide to go back down to 115. She is strongly favored to get the job done here. Hibas is minus 250, Pinheiro plus 200 uh, as your underdog. Keith, I'm mildly surprised that Hibas is as big a favorite as she is. I, I understand the arguments. Uh, Hibas's setbacks have mostly come at flyweight 
and against big, strong, or physically imposing flyweights at that. In both the strawweight and flyweight divisions, she's fought a higher level of competition than Pinedo has. But nonetheless, all all that being the case, with Pinedo's long winning streak and being undefeated in the UFC, I expected this at least to be close to a pick or I wouldn't have even been shocked if Pinedo had been a slight favorite. But no, Hebus is two and a half to one favorite here. Uh, does she get it done? Is she going to bring home a win bonus to the cute animal shelter, at, you know, and wildlife preserve that, that is her front yard? Yeah. One, one thing that's really surprised me is that Hibas is, you know, Hibas and Pinero, that this fight is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's on the main card, but you know, looking by merit, I think, I think it should be the co-main event. You, you know, um, I mean, you got a ranked fight in Hibas, Pinero, I don't know if she's ranked or she's right there knocking on the door. Uh, you know, there's two good, promising, you know, still young athletes. I, I just, I, the women never get high enough on the guy. It's like women in flyweights never get where they should be placed. But, uh, but he was good. Well, just if I had asked the question, I often ask who on this card is closest to a title shot if they win, it's Allen, Craig, Pinero, Hibas. So by that standard, yeah, it probably should be the co main event. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how I, how I, you know, generally view it or, you know, um, yeah, so I, I would have, if, you know, if I was making, do my, my other job and, and setting the lineup, uh, I'd have it as a co-main event. So he was, she's, she's very athletic. She, she moves well. She's elusive. Uh, I've said before, she kind of like flows nice output. She's technically sound uh, to pick apart from distance. Got some quick hands. She's accurate. Good variety in her attacks. Good at mixing punches and kicks together. Well, which I like, uh, she'll throw some spinning attacks. Uh, she, she closes distance and, and, you know, she gets inside and she uses her judo background. Uh, she loves throws and upper body locks. Uh, she, she goes for that stupid head and arm <laughs> throw, which, which, you know, I hate though. Uh, but I, if she gets the fight to the ground, it's good, good top control. She looks to pass the ground, her grappling. I mean, overall grappling is, is, you know, really good. Uh, like I said in the past, I mean, she out grappled Mackenzie Dern at times in their match. Uh, and she's got a, she's a submission threat herself. She has four subs, but my big issue with her is is her durability. Uh, I mean, she's been knocked out. She was knocked out by Macy Barber. She was knocked out by Marina Rodriguez. Uh, you know, that's two different weight classes. She's been knocked out, which is which is concerning. Uh, Pinero, Pinero is very athletic. That thing stands out to me. Good footwork, well rounded. Does well to kind of dart in and out of range, land some shots, and get out. She 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 does her best in probably this mid range thing, uh, you know, not the way of, not like she's not she's not a long lengthy girl where she can really stick a jab, but I mean just gets in her range and she flows well to, to avoid strikes. Good output, quick hands. I'd say she gets some underrated power. Uh, she sets up her clinch, but similar to how he was does, where she just follows her combinations and get inside. Uh, she's more of like a dirty boxer in there, but she has some crazy judo throws herself too. Uh, she she would give up her back on missed throws though. I mean, I go back to to Raina Mako's fight where she was doing that, you know, when she was getting take those. But she also took down Raina Mako's, who's, who's a pretty decent wrestler herself, uh, several times. Uh, she's good at winning scrambles. She's also a legit submission threat. Uh, but a concern is she she did slow down in her fight against Sam Hughes. It, it, this is an incredible matchup. I, I like I said, I think it should be the co-main event. I think I I think the line should be much closer. 
I am picking the favorite Hebus. Uh, Panero does everything that Hebus does. She just does it at a little bit lower level. If if you know if I was scoring them as like a video game, I'd have Hebus you know across the board as as say like an eight and Panero as a seven. So it's close, but I just give it slightly higher. Uh, this is probably a step down in competition for Hebus. You know, from who she's been fighting recently compared to Pinero is probably you know a step up. I think both fighters will have their moments, but I think Hebus output a few takedowns. Uh, I say that gets her to decision one. Yeah, I. You you encapsulated Hebus's skill set really well. One one thing I like about it is I you know she comes from a judo background and. She's parlayed that into becoming a good MMA wrestler and a good MMA grappler. But she has fought multiple opponents who, you know, definitely, definitely wanted to get her down uh, in order to win the fight. I mean, in fact, a majority of them, Dern, Marcos, Van Zant, Janjiroba, she, you knew that their paths to victory lay in getting Hebus to the ground. But Hebus has generally been smart enough to either use her wrestling and judo to keep fights standing or to take them down depending on what presents her best path to victory like the their win over Durham was kind of a master class like she didn't let the fight go to the ground on Dern's terms uh you know but when they did go to the ground it was generally at the time place and situation of her choosing and that allowed her to at least hold her own against again even if we think her MMA grappling is overrated. One of the most credentialed grapplers ever to cross over. Uh, <clears throat> it didn't translate quite as well against Macy Barber. Just I Barber's a little too big, just a little too much of a physical force. Because of that, I am reluctantly thinking that this move back down to 115 is the better move for Hebas because I was all about it when she wanted to move up to 125. I was like, great, it's a division full of fresh faces that she hasn't fought yet it's one that doesn't have that log jam at the top where there's a clearer route to a, a title shot i thought it was brilliant but just didn't quite pan out even though dude she fought top five caitlin chikagian top 10 viviani Araujo, and top 15 macy barber and she beat Araujo. like she i mean she is a top 15 flyweight on talent and accomplishments and just that wasn't quite enough but here i i'm with you her durability is a question uh, she's gotten knocked out a couple times and knocked out bad, but Pinedo doesn't present much of a, she doesn't present much of a risk of landing one huge shot on Hebus that changes the whole tenor of the fight. I think you're right. This turns into a, a fight between two fighters with genuine, generally similar skill sets, but where one is just a little better than the other at most of them. Uh, give me Hebus by decision as well here. Next up on the UFC Vegas 82 main card is a scrap between the debuting Peyton Talbot and Nick Aguirre. Talbot, the 25-year-old Nevada native, is a perfect 6-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. As I said, this will be his first appearance in uh, the UFC. He won on the Contender Series back in August. Again, he's another of those fighters that won on that uh, first episode of this season. He took a unanimous decision over Reyes Cortez, uh, setting a Dana White's Contender Series record for significant strikes by a Bantamweight on the Contender Series uh, along the way. It was a pretty thrilling fight, uh, even if he won it handily. Uh, here he makes his debut against Aguirre. 
Uh, Aguirre, 27-year-old Chicago or Greater Chicago native, is 7-1 overall. That's the good news. The bad news is that the one loss was his most recent fight. He debuted in the UFC back in January against Dan Argetta and dropped a unanimous decision. Prior to that, he had been undefeated. Odds here? Talbot is the biggest favorite on the card. He is minus 750. Aguirre plus 450 uh, on the comeback. Okay, so if if you're not if you don't follow Dana White's contender series, you may be wondering why Talbot is such a big favorite here. You're seeing a six and zero guy uh, who won by decision on the contender series, but you know didn't blow anyone away against a guy who's seven and one and had been undefeated against broadly similar level of competition. Here's the reason. Peyton Talbot has the aura of a potential next big star for the UFC. If you watch any tape on him, he looks like a cross between Sean O'Malley and Alex Caceres, basically. <laughs> like, basically, he moves and strikes like Sean O'Malley, but he's kind of got the bouncing hair and the physique of an Alex Caceres. <coughs> if you watch, and there's plenty of highlight reels on him, and that says something when you have six professional fights and there's lots of highlight reels on you. It is a, it's a Sean O'Malley esque thing. Very free flowing hands at, at the waist, flashy kicks out of nowhere, lots of spinning stuff. Uh, and watching him, you know, blow up regional fighters from Northern Nevada and, you know, uh, Northern California, he, I mean, he looks like he the best striker on the planet. He's blowing these guys away. They have nothing for him. They all, they all look like they're you know stuck in slowly drying cement, and he's just lighting them up with whatever he feels like. But we saw him fight an actually decent fighter on the Contender Series, and as I said, short of getting a knockout, he couldn't have done more to show that he's at least ready to prove himself in the big show because he set a record for significant strikes uh, on the Contender Series. And... Beyond all the flashy stuff, there are some fundamentals to appreciate and to kind of give you hope that his success will carry over. You know, he goes to the body a lot. I know Keith likes that. Um, you know, if, if you've got power and you've got reach, it can be tempting to just become a headhunter and just try to blast everybody away. But Talbot definitely uh, invests in, in body work. Um, he is a long, lanky bantamweight and... Again, you know, has a bit of that O'Malley-esque fluidity. When he's fighting at his best, his opponents are swinging at air, and he's coming back with bombs, and he's dropping him with stuff that doesn't even look like it it was thrown that hard because it's hitting him from unexpected angles. Uh, Aguirre is going to be an interesting uh, test for him because Aguirre is a pretty big guy. I mean, he debuted in the UFC at featherweight and didn't look particularly undersized, and he's not a bad striker himself. Uh, you know, if you look at his record, he has a, a number of uh, submissions, especially more recently, and he has uh, some TKOs that took place on the ground. But when you see him fight, he's he's a good striker. He's, uh, you know, fundamentally solid. He has good reach, uh, decent footwork, uh, pretty good power on, on everything. I don't know how long he's been at Valley Flow striking, but knowing that he's there with people like... Uh, Yair Rodriguez and Ignacio Bamondes, you know, 
seeing someone like Peyton Talbot shouldn't take him completely by surprise. Like if you if you work out with Yair Rodriguez every day for a couple of years, Peyton Talbot is going to hold very few surprises for you. Uh, I do favor Talbot in this. Uh, certainly he has the greater upside of the two, but I don't think he walks through him. He's taking on someone who's durable, who hits hard, who has a good ground game. Uh, Talbot's ground game has been tested precious little, and whether he turns out to be the next Sean O'Malley or the next Blood Diamond really depends on how he answers the test of, you know, can I be taken down and what happens when I do. So give me Talbot to hold on for a decision here in a surprisingly tough matchup. Uh, there will be times in this fight where he looks like a minus 750 favorite. I think there'll be other times where he looks like a very talented up-and-comer who uh, still could use some seasoning against uh, against better competition. But uh, yeah, Talbot by decision here. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is an intriguing fight. I mean, uh, yeah. How do I say his name? Nick Aguirre. Aguirre, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's already been in the UFC. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of buzz because before he came to the UFC, I mean, he he feasted on some low level, you know, people. I mean, you look at you know his wins, the record. You know his opponents; they're they're really poor. Uh, what I've seen of this guy, I, I don't really like a lot of. He, he's a minus athlete. Uh, he's a southpaw. He does his hands are serviceable, I guess. I mean, he 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 works behind a jab, throws straight punches on the pipe. Uh, but he's he's more of a grappler. Where, but the problem is, is he's a guy you could tell has spent a lot of time in the jitsu room because he struggles to get the fight to the ground. Uh, when he gets to the ground, he's pretty good. I mean, he we we saw him in his UFC debut being stuck on his back for a long period of time. I mean, he was tossing up submissions early in the fight. He almost swept him. He's got some good back takes. He actually got uh, did I get his back in the fight. Uh, he has four submission wins on the record. But a big issue I've had is that I saw is when he was taken down, he has showed no urgency to try to get back up. Like he's plays just a little bit too much, and, he, and it's very easy to take him down. He doesn't have the strongest takedown defense. Now, Peyton Talbot, obviously, he's he's – you know, he's only 25 as you. I like that. Very good athlete, good striker, very aggressive. I mean, he he's his output on the contender series was one of the most insane output I've ever seen. I mean, he had the cardio to go all 15 minutes, and it was just nonstop moving forward, nonstop throwing combinations. He's got good power. He's got five KOs on, on his record. That was his first fight that he didn't get a stoppage. Uh, nice leg kicks. He mixes punches and he kicks together in his combinations, which I like. Step in knees. Uh, but he's he's got a lot of defensive holes. One, he lacks head movement. He's one of these guys. He, You know, the saying is willing to eat one to give one. This guy's like eats one to throw a whole combination. <laughs> like he, he doesn't throw single strikes at all. Uh, he's also heavy on his front foot, which leaves him open to calf kicks. He's a weak defensive wrestler. But to his credit, what I've seen, he's got some good get-up game. Talbot is as fun of a fight I've, that I've ever seen. Some of the most insane output I've ever seen. That said, I mean, you mentioned the Sean O'Malley comparisons. The, Laura Sanko said it on the Contender Series. You know, he, she was comparing him to, to Sean O'Malley. And the, the, I don't like that comparison. And the reason why, I mean, I, I get it. They're longer, lengthier kind of guys. They they flow very similar. They, they you know, the very boxing-heavy style uh, Contender Series, you know, got similar. The hair. The hair. The hair yeah. yeah. 
but I'm not comparing a guy making his UFC debut to the current champion. And the biggest thing is O'Malley's defense is so much better. I mean, this guy doesn't have any defense. I mean, he's got fast hands, he's, he's accurate, uh, but he's to me he's he's got a loss coming. Now he's he seems extremely durable. I mean, even against uh, I'm, I forgot his first name, but Tracy Cortez's brother there. Uh, you know, his brother landed a lot of good shots, and he just kept walking through them. So the insane output, the athleticism, I think his volume just crumbles. Uh, a Gary, I think it happens late in the fight. Give me Talbot by third round TKO. Next up at UFC Vegas 82, and at least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, the third fight from the top is a lightweight matchup between Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt. Hooper, the 24-year-old Washington State native, is 12-3-1 overall. Uh, he is 4-3 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. He won on the Contender Series but was not immediately signed. Uh, he won a couple more regional fights and then got the call up. That was the source of my math error during the, the intro. But yeah, he's he has alternated losses and wins since joining the UFC in... Uh, almost exactly four years ago. He is coming in off a win. He beat Nick Fiore by its unanimous decision back in May at UFC Fight Night, Dern versus Hill. Uh, so he'll look to break that pattern of alternating losses and wins and win back-to-back -back fights for the first time in his UFC tenure. He will try to get it done against Levitt. Uh, Levitt, 28-year-old fighting out of Syndicate MMA, is 11-2 overall. He is 5-2 since joining the UFC out of Season 4 of the Contender Series. He is coming into this fight off of a uh, win. He knocked out Vic Martinez in the first round at UFC Fight Night Mooney's versus Allen back in February. Prior to that, he had gotten tapped out in the second round by Patty Pimlet. Odds here favor Hooper. Pretty heavily. He's minus 225, Levitt plus 180. Uh, Keith, anytime you have a sufficiently old school fan that says, well, you know, anytime you get two good grapplers in a matchup, that's a guarantee that what you're going to get is a mediocre kickboxing match. Or when people will kind of sarcastically refer to K1 Maya or K1 Shields or K1 Hughes for a grappler or wrestler who's developed okay striking and has really fallen in love with it they're talking this is what it has all been building towards chase hooper jordan levitt the floor is lava I, there's a time when i might have said these are the worst two strikers in any men's division other than heavyweight yeah especially and, levitt. yeah like and levitt's improved some but not a ton and then at the same time his grappling has proven maybe not to be quite the lights out no. that, that, you know, it, it was uh, shaped up to be. I mean, we're talking about a guy that knocked out uh, boxer Vic Martinez with relative ease and then got out grappled by Patty Pimblet before that. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that, that Hooper's uh, uh, greater than two to one favorite here, but you know what? If it does turn into the classic. Wait, hold on. Hooper's the favorite? Hooper's minus 225. Levitt plus 180. Wow. Yeah. 
my assumption is that the that that line or more to the point the betters that are driving that line kind of expect that we'll get the tongue-in-cheek k1 hooper versus k1 levitt fight because if this thing is conducted entirely on the feet i do think hooper boxes levitt up um these are both huge lightweights or i mean at least they're both very tall long-limbed lightweights like you can't look at chase hooper and say the guy's huge but uh hooper is even taller and may have a bit of a reach advantage and to his credit he's not a plus athlete he comes off a little slow and herky-jerky on the feet but on the feet you know on the ground he's very nimble but on the feet a little herky-jerky he's become pretty good at uh you know at, at using his natural height and and reach to his advantage but i keep coming back to it's as simple as he's alternated losses and wins since he's been in the ufc and basically he's beaten the bad fighters and he's lost to the decent ones i don't even say the good ones like he he hasn't fought anyone in the ufc that's even within sniffing distance of the top 15 or the top 25 even like steve garcia and steven peterson are both pretty good lightweights that that's about it like they're they're not yeah. or i guess peterson w- would have been uh at featherweight alex caceres at, at featherweight and at the time caceres was really not you know caceres's real career resurgence almost started with the hooper fight just hoopers beating guys that don't belong in the ufc daniel tamer peter barrett nick fiore uh if he beats levitt that's actually his best win in the ufc that says something man uh Levitt striking is super ugly. His grappling is effective, but it's almost more entertaining than effective. Um, you know, I kind of I've seen him go for submission over position. I've seen him go for low percentage stuff. Uh, his defensive grappling, like Patty Pimblett, like choked him out, but good. I I don't agree with the line, but I am leaning Hooper here. I think I think this fight is close to a wash if it goes to the ground, and I think on the feet, Hooper's going to outstrike Levitt, or at the very least, he's going to put on a striking performance that's going to win rounds for him. You know, he'll like jab Levitt up cleanly from distance, kick at his legs, stay away. Uh, give me Hooper to win a decision in a pretty lousy fight here. Oh man, <laughs> you see, like. <laughs> you would take this fight a lot more serious than I, I mean this. Oh my lord! Uh, <laughs> Ch- Ch- Chase Hooper is a terrible athlete. You know, um, he's a southpaw. He, he tries using his length to strike f- from range and, and march forward with good output. Uh, he does throw punches straight down the pipe. The problem is his punches are slow. Uh, they have no power. They're just arm punches. Uh, they're very. Uh, the same like the Alex Caceres fight, he's just doing the same one-two combination over <laughs> over again, and uh, his defense is bad. I mean, he got beat up by Steven Peterson. He got beat up by Steve Garcia. He has no head movement. He doesn't react to strikes well. Kind of flops around. He's, he 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 looks like he reminds me of like a like a career soccer player instead of doing MMA. Like has to over Shit. over like over exaggerate when he gets touched. Uh, <laughs> Or as to your, your European, he, he strikes like he's down. trying to draw a red card. All yeah. right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 
he wants to grapple, but he's a weak wrestler. I mean, he is relentless to get the fight to the ground. Uh, he'll, he'll pull guard. He'll, he'll even Ari roll. Uh, he'll even just kind of like bull rush his opponent. Hopefully somehow they fall over. Uh, if he gets taken down, uh, well, if he, well, if he gets the fight to the ground, he's got some pretty good ground and pound. Uh, he's got some slick back takes. And we saw him have some moments against Alex Caceres where he had his back and uh, and he's very aggressive to get a submission, use those long arm and long legs, lock on a submission. Uh, we've seen his heart. I mean, go back to like the Peter Barra fight, he, you know, big come from behind victory, uh, very funky style grappling. Uh, hips are constantly moving. Uh, he can't get submissions anywhere. And he's got really good cardio. Uh, and he's young. So that's always, you know, chances for improvement. Uh, Jordan Levitt. Jordan Levitt's big. I mean, he's big for the weight class. Uh, like, holy shit. Like, his striking has come along. I mean, he, he really was the worst striker in, in the UFC. And, I mean, his striking... I didn't want to say this, but it, it looked kind of good against Victor Martinez, you know? Um, when he got a TKO. Yeah. Now, he, he, he's still slow, but he marches down his opponents. Uh, he... he yeah, he showed against Trey Ogden uh, a pretty good chin, uh, though he's easy to hit because he keeps his chin high in the air. But he's got good kick, good deep kicks. Uh, he does well to keep his distance and land strikes uh, from outside or close inside and, and just work in the clinch. Uh, he will wrestle. Uh, similar to Hooper, he's more of a, a funk-style wrestler. Shoot and kind of create a scramble, keep his, his hips moving. He'll also, in Minari role, uh, very flexible. I mean, yeah, he does those splits after his win and everything. Some good slick back takes. He's got six submission wins, uh, six subs. Uh, he'll kind of go for a submission any place. Uh, he loves looking for darts in 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 scrambles and stuff. Uh, he is he had this credible Kimura when he was an amateur. Uh, he, he got a crucifix in one fight. He's willing to give a position and, and compromise to go for a sub, which is an issue. Uh, also, cardio's an issue. I mean, guess it against Claudio Puelos. Ah, these guys are so similar. I mean, the, the athleticism, the striking technique, the striking power, the, the way they get takedowns, the way they scramble, they're very similar. Uh, but Jordan Levitt's got some okay wins. I mean, he beat Trey Ogden, which is which is a pretty good win. Um, give me Levitt. And you know what? I say it's a late TKO, too. Like, what, what world are we living in? But I'm going to take Levitt by TKO. All right. K1 Levitt just became a thing. <laughs> I, 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 let me say, I, I'm very surprised he's the underdog. I, that's why I even corrected you. Like you. I thought you misspoke when you said Hooper was the – was the was a was a pretty good size favorite. Let me just recheck right now because once or twice, like oh, no, I don't check. I just no, no. I'm just I was just guessing. I just I I just assumed no. Levitt was Chase Hooper is at least a minus two hundred favorite on every book, and most of them it's two twenty five, two fifty. That's crazy. Have they seen Chase Hooper fight before? Chase Hooper's. Uh, I don't want to say I don't want to say sucks because like. They, they fight the UFC, so and he's got he's got a winning record, but yeah, he's four and three in the UFC. Yeah, yeah. and he just turned twenty four. It's yeah, that's that's wild huge. How young that's he is. huge. That's that is huge. I still, if I'm a gambler, I'm, I'm blaming some cheddar on on Joe Levin. 
That brings us to the co-main event of UFC Fight Night 232. It is a welterweight matchup between Michael Morales and Jake Matthews. Morales, the 23-year-old Ecuadorian by way of Mexico, is a perfect 15-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is a perfect 3-0 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. And he has not gotten an easy draw. They threw him right in. I just, his three wins in the UFC are against Trevin Giles, Adam Fujit, and Max Griffin. Uh, the most recent of those, the Griffin fight was back in July at the Strickland versus Magomedov card. It was the first time that he had been forced to go the distance in his UFC run, but uh, he won a unanimous decision to keep his record spotless. He will attempt to continue to do so and maybe start to stand out from the pack a little bit and join the conversation of the uh, other red-hot welterweights uh, making their way up the ladder, and he will try to do it against uh, Matthews. We just finished talking about Chase Hooper, who is somehow still just 24 years old. I feel as though Jake Matthews has been in the UFC for 20 years, but that's not possible because he's 29. 29-year-old uh, Australian is 19-6 and six overall. He's 12-6 and six in the UFC. Uh, he has alternated wins and losses in his last five fights, but he is coming off a win. He choked out Darius Flowers in the second round at UFC 291 back in July. Uh, this will be his second UFC fight of the calendar year. He'll look to go 2-0 against uh, Morales. He is not favored to do so. Morales is around minus 275 on most of your uh, books. Matthew's coming in around plus 225 as your underdog. Keith, Michael Morales is 23 years old. He's 15-0. He's 3-0 in the UFC in one of its toughest divisions. And again, I, I can't I, I can't overstate this enough. He never got thrown in against other contender series vets. They threw him right in against Trevin Giles and Max Griffin, both of whom are tough veteran guys yeah. that have some elite wins. And so why are is this guy not getting the kind of shine of a Shemaev or Rachmanov or even a Sean Brady or or Ian Gary? Like, hell, he's not even getting the shine of a Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, Shemayev, I mean, his personality, the way he speaks, obviously, the way he, you know, he he gets he knocks a guy out, takes a fight like a week later. Uh, so that's that's why he's there. Uh, I mean, Rachmanov, I mean, you see, just destroying everybody. So that kind of, and that, but Rachmanov didn't get as much hype until he started really, you know, get, getting victory after victory. Uh, I mean, Ian Gary, Irish, the personality, that's always going to help. Uh, who else did you say? Sean Brady. Sean Brady. Uh, and, and Sean Brady uh, just Jack had the Del, misfortune. Jack, Jack Della Maddalena. And Jack Della yeah. Maddalena has the early career loss that normally costs you that high. Yeah. I don't, I don't get why he doesn't have the same buzz as at least those two guys do. Um, I mean, he, like you said, the the um, um, I'm sorry, who was the first? Trevin Giles to me was is a solid win, but the uh, a win over uh, Max Griffin that's a really good win. Mm -hmm. Like Griffin's really tough, so 
Um, yeah, I, I agree. And, and this is probably compared to Griffin. I, I think this might be a little slight step back. Uh, I, I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm not trying to diss Jake Matthew. Max is, is a tough out and it's a different stylistic fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jake Matthews, he's, he's so inconsistent. That's the issue. You know, one fight, he's, he looks great. One fight, he looks terrible. The next, uh, he, he is a good athlete. He moves well. Uh, he he has improved as a striker over the years. I mean, some of that's just getting older, and, and you know, uh, but he can be low output at times. He can, you know, which is you know throwing single strikes. Uh, when he when he's when he's good, he's counter striking. He's slipping. He's ripping. Uh, his hand speed did look good against Darius Flowers. His counter right is is his best strike. Uh, he can get a little loopy with his power shots, but he's got he's got plus power. He's kind of he's developed that. He likes to go to the body, but all his striking is still to set up his wrestling. He's got he's a good wrestler, fast entries, good top control, strong ground and pound. He looks to advance position on the ground. Uh, he has a submission threat. He's got seven subs, on, you know, on, on on his record. Morales, he's a really good prospect. Only you mentioned he's only twenty four, so he could still continue to make big improvements. Uh, to get in the realm of the guys we said, um, they've all they're they're all up another level right now, fighting competition wise. Not not saying skill or, or or potential. I mean just the competition they're facing. But you know he puts on a show against Matthews. He's probably stepping up to that competition. Uh, he's a long and lengthy guy, good striker, uh, a nice long jab. He 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 does drop his hands and, and throw from his hips, which is an issue. Um, but he 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 springs right in that mid range and he, he lands power shots when he when he gets, finds resistance. I mean he showed great power against Trevin Trevin Jones in, in that fight. Uh, I love his kicking game. Uh, de- he still has a little defensive holes that you know biggest one you know he needs to move his head. Uh, he is a good wrestler. Uh, I, I guess he was a national Ecuador wrestling champion, which I, I, I want to say he's a good wrestler. He's not a great wrestler. Like I think his wrestling's a little slightly overrated. I mean, he got taken down by Adam Fugit. Uh, but he's he's good at he's good at winning scrambles, which I which I like. Uh, but another issue is he only has he only has one uh, submission, but he's got eleven knockouts, so he's got he's got power. You know, as far as prediction goes, yeah, this is a really tough test for Morales, and I, and I know I just said that it was a step back from Max Griffin, and that's because I I just like Max Griffin as a fighter better than Jake Matthews, but it's a different stylistic matchup, and it's still a tough test. Um, you know, Matthews is pretty well-rounded. He's a strong wrestler. Uh, he, he's definitely got the ability to, to put a huge roadblock, you know, cause cause welterweight, <laughs> like it's not the division you can afford a loss. I just feel like this feels like a passing of the torch moment. You know, Morales is bigger. He's obviously younger. He's, I think he's more technical on the feet. I say he wins a decision, but I'm gonna say it's a close fight. Give me, uh, I, I won't say it's split or anything like that, but I say it's unanimous. But and not one of those ones where he blows the guy out. So morale's by decision. Yeah, I, I, I like the breakdown there, and I am cautiously really high on Michael Morales. Uh, you mentioned he's got the physical tools. He is a big welterweight long and rangy fast powerful he's fluid he does have the defensive lapses you mentioned on the feet but 
precious few people have been able to make him really pay for them. The thing that makes me hopeful in his upside is how seamlessly he stepped from fighting low-level regional competition to high-level competition and just didn't really miss a beat. But he came up in Ecuador and then uh, later on in Mexico because he he started training in Mexico before he got the call from the Contender Series, uh, just blowing through badly overmatched fighters uh, in the first round. Like His last couple wins in Ecuador and Mexico before the Contender Series He's fighting like 38-year-old dudes on four-fight losing streaks. On the Contender Series, he fights Nikolai Veritanikov, who was a former Fury welterweight champion. He's a guy from Kazakhstan who's lived in Texas for a long time. And Veritanikov is very good. He is, I mean, he's a UFC-level welterweight now. Like, he, he could be there. There are guys he could beat. And specifically, he's a good, grindy wrestler. And Morales's uh, defensive wrestling uh, you know, stood up and he outstruck him pretty soundly and, and won on the contender series. Then he goes right in, I guess, again, good fighters, Giles Griffin. I mean, even Fugit's not like that bad and just, he, he hasn't missed a beat. So such is kind of the level of his coaching and then the level of his natural skill and, and his work ethic that he hasn't had, at least he hasn't had yet that loss or even just kind of that, yeah, you won, but it was a really sobering performance that you have a lot to take back to the drawing board. There hasn't been a whole lot of that yet. Theoretically, this could be a vulnerable moment for him. As you mentioned, Matthews is a good athlete himself. He's a good-sized guy, and he's a good wrestler. If Matthews can take Morales down consistently, well, one, that makes this a, a hell of a fight, and two, w win or lose, it makes me tap the brakes a little bit on Morales. Like you mentioned, once you get into that top 15 to 20 range, you better be able to uh, wrestle defensively if you want to to have any success in that division. But I'm, I, I'm with you. You said a passing of the torch moment, and that's exactly what I was thinking. But I think I'm envisioning it being even more emphatic than uh, than you are. Matthews hasn't gotten knocked out since Kevin Lee did it about a million years ago. I think it was literally like seven or eight years ago when Matthews was younger than Morales is now. Uh, so he hasn't been knocked out in a long time, but he has been hurt and hit cleanly and kind of clocked and rung up a, a few times, win or lose. I think Morales does that and then some. Uh, I think Morales is going to successfully fight off Matthews's takedown attempts gonna nail him with long kicks to the legs and body bust him up with that jab just really make him feel the difference in uh in reach and power on the way to a second round tko and it will be impossible to keep the lid on the pot at that point i, I think morales enters kind of a new kind of enters a, a new level of hype and anticipation you know he may be the kind of guy that the next time he fights he's somewhere on a pay-per-view main card where he's on the embedded episodes and stuff and you're seeing little stuff where he goes back to his i won't say village because machala is a big ass town uh, you know I, I, but you know where they show his, his home in in ecuador and show him training in in, in mexico uh yeah morales 
I'm buying in on him as a future contender, maybe some kind of star in the making. Morello's by second round knockout. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Vegas 82. A middleweight matchup between Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. Allen, the 27-year-old Louisiana native by way of, uh, I believe now Florida, he trains out of. He's 22-5 and five overall. He's 10-2 and two since joining the UFC out of uh, Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He's on a five-fight winning streak. He, The last time he lost, he got uh, knocked out in the second round by Chris Curtis almost two years ago. Since then, he has wins over Sam Alvey, Jacob Malkoon, Christoph Yatko, Andre Muniz, and Bruno Silva. The most recent of those, the Silva fight was back in June at the Emmett versus Tapuria fight night card. He'll look to make it six in a row and really mint himself as a contender in in this division and maybe a, a top contender sooner than later. Standing in his way will be Craig. Uh, Craig, the 35-year-old Scott, is 17-6-1 overall. He's 9-6-1 in the UFC. He's 1-0 at middleweight. His early run in the UFC took place at light heavyweight, uh, where he got some quality wins. They'll, they'll never take the ankle I have win away from him, uh, as well as uh, you know some pretty frustrating setbacks. But he, after losing back-to-back fights to Volkan Uzdemir and Johnny Walker, decided to give the middleweight division a try. He debuted back in July at uh, Fight Night Aspinall versus Tybura in London, knocking out Mooney's much more heralded up-and-comer in the second round. All of a sudden, Paul Craig is a person of interest in the middleweight division. What seemed to be, at best, a curiosity and, at worst, a truly horrible idea for one of the biggest light heavyweights on the roster to drop in weight is thus far a successful experiment. Uh, If the odds makers are to be believed, the success of that experiment is about to come to a crashing halt as Craig is a massive underdog. Allen is minus 450 on most of your books. Craig coming in around plus 325. Keith, the most important question I have to ask you is, Paul Craig, now 20 pounds lighter, everything else the same, same height, same reach, couple of years older than the last time we asked this question, the last time you asked this question, can middleweight Paul Craig dunk a basketball, Keith Schilling? Is there any Scottish NBA players? Like, no. not, not like American with Scottish descent. I no. mean, like people no. from Scotland. No, I don't think there's ever been one, actually. I'm going to say no. I would say he's and, one of these guys who like he 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 touches the rim and he like brags to his friends about it. No, I, I, and I was going to say if you're watching this right now, one if if you don't get the reference on one of the first Paul Craig fights that we previewed, Keith was talking about his lack of athleticism and asked if Paul Craig, who is six four, could dunk a basketball. And if you're wondering right now, just understand that that we're not asking if he can touch the rim because he could probably do that on his tiptoes. I'm I'm saying could he actually put the ball in his hands, throw it down <laughs> through the the hoop, uh, without just bricking it and having it you know fly into the stands or something? I don't think he could dribble. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm 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 with you. And keep in mind that none of this is meant to denigrate the man. His MMA accomplishments are more <laughs> impressive because of this. But uh, 
can he avoid getting dunked on by Brendan Allen, metaphorically? Tell me how you see this fight going. Yeah, I, I, uh, Brendan Allen, I, I don't, you know, be, is it Wisconsin or something like where he's from? He's from like, he's somewhere. Well, he's there. from Louisiana. He trained oh, at a Rufus yeah, Sport for a long is. time, yeah, and yeah, now yeah. he's at Kill Cliff, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some reason about him, he doesn't seem like a, the greatest basketball player, but I still think he he I think he'd he'd take uh, uh, Craig there one on one. This is this is a this is an intriguing fight, and uh, well, <laughs> not by the Ozmakers, but uh, you know, just because of Paul Craig, you know, to be Paul Craig to be headlining UFCs based on his skill set is still pretty remarkable thing. I mean, he's a middleweight who's, who's not a great athlete. I mean, he's a very weak striker, uh, kind of like a, a male Mackenzie Dern. His technique is bad. He has no power. He, he pretty much abandoned his striking against Vulcan news to in that fight. Uh, but to his credit, he does have a kicking game. Uh, he, he doesn't set them up. He's also been blasted for it, but you know, he's, and he's, you know, he doesn't move his head and stuff, but, you know, he can score points with kicks, uh, but he keeps his chin high in the air and he's going to get caught. He's taken a lot of damage over the years. He he wants to get to fight the ground, but he isn't a wrestler. He's one of the guys he hopes he catches a kick to get to fight the ground or he'll, he'll pull guard, he'll Iminari roll. Uh, I mean, he pulled Usamir into the mount in their fight, but he's a good Submission artist. I, I mean, I, I've said it before. He feels like a Hoist Gracie in those days, where you know he, he can get subs from his back, and he and he feels better being on the bottom of the guard. Because there was a time in MMA where, like, don't go to the guard. Oh no, like you're in trouble. Uh, obviously, those days are over. But uh, Craig is like that one guy. You know, obviously, I know there's more than other guys, but he's the guy that like that's where he wants to fight. He wants to be on bottom, pressed against the cage or something. Uh, trying to, uh, you know, pull a submission. He's a guy. He can lose every minute of the fight and still find a way to, to win a sub, uh, which which you got to love. You know, he, he he's our kind of guy. He's Oh, yeah. Because he's the ultimate underdog. I mean, look at this fight. He's the first guy to pick up the F-word middle name. <laughs> Even before uh, Darren Elkins. Like, the first one that we laid that on was Paul Craig. Yeah, you know what I love about him is he's 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 the complete opposite of his persona. Like his persona is oh, gonna be this dude, a Scottish dude that weighs in with blue face paint on, like he's in fucking Braveheart, and then pulls, and guard, pulls guard, and it works. <laughs> this, imagine that Braveheart too. Like they're, they're storming, they're storming, they're running, and then and then uh, they all slide into like an Imanari roll. <laughs> Which, I, I mean. C considering that they would have been wearing kilts, this has gone beyond R-rated and into <laughs> NC-17. So, yeah. <laughs> um, a big thing, I, I just, I really don't trust his chin. I mean, he's been rocked so many times. I mean, like, I, I keep going back to the Ostermere fight, uh, but like Ostermere hurt him multiple times. I mean, Johnny Walker knocked him, blasted him. So, Brandon Allen, on the other hand, he's he's a pressure striker with some really good output. Uh, he's he tends to be a builder, you know, where he kind of beats guys with his output and his cardio. Uh, he's a Muay Thai striker who he he does have some holes. He stands a little tall. tall he's very hittable, uh, but he can take a beating and just continue to march forward, you know, with his high guard defense. He he can make a mistake of overthrowing and overextending, uh, and he's been hurt a lot in his career. Like he's 
he's a young fighter, but he's not in miles. He's got a lot of miles um, even before he came in the UFC, but he's got really underrated power. I mean, he seems like every fight he's, he's gaining more power. He's got a great kicking game kicks to all areas of the body. Some of the best kicks, uh, calf kicks in the game, in the game. I mean, I always go back to the Sean Strickland fight. I fight that he lost. He still had success, but just kicking Sean Strickland. Uh, he can land a takedown or two. Uh, he he will shoot for takedown without setting up, which is an issue. He's you know he's not your traditional uh, college wrestler where he you know he can explode through. He's more of a guy who just kind of keep a scramble going and winning that really funk style to his game. But he's got mean grind and pound. He's got good BJJ. He advances position on the ground, slick back takes. I mean, he subbed Andre Muniz, which is a really good uh, accomplishment. And, and he also hit a sweep in, in that fight. So. Uh, he's good. Yeah. I, you ever see those? Yeah, I know you've seen it. Like when I was thinking about this today, MMA, when I was thinking about with uh, Paul Craig, when you get these comparisons in other sports, like all time greats, and you see them on like uh, social media, they'll have like like LeBron James or Michael Jordan's the one I you always see, and it's like yeah. they'll like check boxes like who's better, and then they'll have like a different categories and have like a check. Next to one of them will be like scoring, and it'll be like Michael Jordan and clutchness, Michael Jordan and passing LeBron, and uh, you know, filling all their steals. And 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 I was thinking that about this today about MMA, and like we don't we don't really do that a lot, but if we did, and you and you put MMA in different categories, if you were like, you know, boxing technique and uh, kicking technique and striking power, and you know clinch game and you know takedowns from distance and jiu-jitsu and cardio and strength athleticism fight iq what you know you know they go you figure you figure them all out what would you check a box for not comparing him to brendan allen but just in general like something like okay this is what he's good at if if it was if it was uh paul craig think the only thing you would check a box on is submissions yeah and uh, specific i mean if we're talking real talk specifically bottom side submissions like <laughs> we don't see much of his top game no well he doesn't get the, he, he doesn't end yeah. up on top a lot so um you know paul craig there's usually two factors you know two two what's the word i'm looking at Two results when I watch him fight. Either he gets his ass kicked the entire fight and then gets beat so bad that I go, oh, my God, he's never going to win another fight again. Or he gets his ass kicked beat so bad, and I'm saying, oh, my God, he's never going to win another fight again. Oh, wait, he just caught a submission on the guy. <laughs> like, that's that's usually, that's usually it. Um that said, I don't expect that against yeah, Allen. I, I like Allen big hair. I, I've never been much of a Craig Paul Craig believer. Now, I enjoyed the run he's been on. It's fun, but an actual belief in his skills. You know, Allen continues to improve. I think he picks apart Craig on the feet. I think he stuffs takedown attempts. I think if the fight goes to the ground, I think he I think he could even win there. Like you pull you pull guard on Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen, he's one, he's a good submission artist. Two, he's mean on the ground. Uh, I think the, the deeper the fight goes, the more he, he avoids submission tense. He lands ground and pound uh, on the feet. 
kicking the legs. I think he brutalizes them, and I think he, I think he, I think he hurts them uh, either either with the ground and pound or on the feet. And I think he finishes the fight. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, uh, Brandon Allen wins by third round TKO. Yeah, that I I I'm with you. Like I try to be realistic about Paul Craig's skill set about his prospects in whichever division he's competing in while at the same time thoroughly enjoying the unique vibe that he brings uh having said that craig craig's win over andre muniz it's not the biggest win of his career in terms of name value i mean he beat shogun it's not the biggest win in terms of competitive merit he beat jamal hill who i mean was your champ until 36 hours ago but the way he beat Muniz because the thing is all of all of his best wins leading up until uh that last fight against Muniz were from grappling from the guard it's tapping out Ankolaev uh tapping out Kennedy Zechikwu uh tapping out Nikita Krylov even the Hill win it goes down as a TKO but but it started because he broke Hill's arm with an arm bar from guard yeah. yeah like, like it it all flowed from paul craig either getting taken down or getting his ass whooped and catching his opponents in a moment of inattention with his just super super tricky guard mooney's fight was something completely different uh like he shot a takedown on mooney's and took him down got swept and we're, again we're talking about andre mooney's the guy that like br- like ended jacare's career essentially by breaking his arm like got swept by Mooney's, rolled through, it took top position again, and pounded him out with ground and pound. Like, I don't dare to hope that that's the new middleweight Paul Craig, but it showed a different facet. It stands out as very different from his best wins at 205. Having said that, even if that's a new thing that Paul Craig is good at, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with the known ways to to beat Brendan Allen. Allen is 10 and two in the UFC and his two losses are both smaller guys stepping up on short notice and knocking him out. Uh, you know, Sean Strickland stepped up on like a week's notice. And while Sean Strickland was middleweight champ for a while, at that time, it was a welterweight meeting a middleweight at 195 pounds. And then Chris Curtis, obviously, maybe the smallest middleweight in the division, another mm-hmm. part-time welterweight. And in both cases, they've knocked him out, like basically yeah. outboxed him, just punched him in the face until he fell down. And I made this comparison for Allen, I think the last time we previewed one of his fights, but he just checks all the boxes. He really is the second coming of Luke Rockhold. He's a big guy for the division that you expect him to be a better boxer than he is just by the way he stands and the way he's built. But He's an okay boxer offensively and a porous one defensively who has a very good kicking game. He is a decent wrestler and a very good grappler, like especially on his way up in like strike force, like Rockhold was this huge uh, middleweight who mostly got by on kicking and submissions and was never a good boxer defensively. Like, yeah, he, I mean, look at his biggest losses. Uh, That's still Allen, but Allen's just 27 and you're right in that he's taken a lot of damage. He's got more tread off the tires than a lot of 27-year-old fighters do. But in terms of his skills, 
he does have time to improve. And if he's still at Killcliffe, which it sounds like he is, that might be a good place for him. Like excellent striking sure. coach, good yeah. strikers around his weight class that he, that he can work with. But here, yeah, like there are ways to beat Brendan Allen, but if, if Allen blunders into a triangle after 13 minutes of, of kicking Craig's ass or 23 minutes of kicking his ass, then my whole scouting report on Brendan Allen is wrong. And if Paul Craig just effortlessly boxes him up on the feet, takes advantage of his tendency to drop his hands, takes advantage of his chin and just knocks him out standing, then my whole scouting report on Paul Craig is dead wrong. Uh, <laughs> I've been dead wrong about you know a lot of fighters over the years, but I don't think I'm dead wrong here. Th this no. matchup really favors Allen. And while Craig's calling card was his durability at light heavyweight, I'm interested to see what it looks like in a five-round fight or a potential five-round fight at 185 pounds. Uh, yeah, I, I think Allen wins this one pretty overwhelmingly. I could see Allen just chopping Craig up with kicks. While Allen isn't a great wrestler, Craig's takedown defense is so bad that I could see Allen taking him down. And I think Allen probably would take Craig down without really much fear of, of the guard. He is, you mentioned, mean ground and pounder, good, strong top position grappler. I could see this ending, you know, in fact, I'm going to say it does end in round two with Allen sitting on Craig's chest and punching him out. Um, give me Brendan Allen by second round uh, KO. And I'm going to say this does end on the ground and we never get to see the, the Hail Mary triangle. Uh, yeah. Uh, Brendan Allen, big time in this one. And that is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 232, Allen versus Craig, also known as UFC Vegas 82. I've been Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We try to bring uh, as good a mix of actual in-depth analysis and occasional side tangents as you'll find anywhere in this business. Please do drop us a like, subscribe. Uh, those likes help us. They make us feel good. They cost you nothing. Or if you're, if you really, really hate us, then drop us a dislike. It's still an interaction. Uh, you know, I, I, I see the one or two of you that, that click dislike every time, but there's very few of you. Uh, but most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live on the Sherdog YouTube page about 10 minutes after the main event. This is an early card. Uh, thank goodness. But Keith takes the captain's chair. We will cover all 13 of these fights in reverse order from this compelling middleweight headliner all the way down to the honestly also compelling flyweight opener. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was exciting, what was controversial, what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers, and we'll be talking with you. The live chat on the YouTube page is open that whole time, so we're taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We also give a nice, uh, meaningless award to whoever makes us laugh the hardest. Uh, so, you know, you want to be part of that. We would love to have you uh, join the community of friends that hangs out with us after the fights. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights.